Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This discussion was about operations value mapping, although we really went to a very interesting place and talked about complexity budgets and how to measure complexity budgets and how important it could be to have leadership asking about the complexity budget, which includes the supply chain and the pipelines and delivery and the coupling, and how it could be potentially a very powerful measuring tool for understanding operations value uh, in an organization. This session was pretty short, but we went deep. So please check it out and enjoy the conversation. I'd love a succinct definition of wordly mapping, <laughs> but, but I do think that, um, you know, as we're seeing more and more of these conversations about complexity, you know, I know for RackM, we're talking about infrastructure pipelines a lot, but we're also talking about infrastructure as code and value stream mapping um, at the operation side. I would, I would love to dive in and, and sort of figure out where the fit is strategically on, on, of value mapping on the operation side. Rob, can I ask you a question about that? In what, when when you talk about using value stream mapping or value mapping for RackN, you know, and, and incorporating it into, can you be a little bit more specific? And the reason I ask is when I first encountered the notion of value mapping or value stream mapping, it was like, Going back to you know Porter's strategies and 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 because he uses exactly that term, and prior to that you know and, and all the OR stuff and, and um, engineering economic system stuff I did, you know when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we were still using abacuses, um, the the whole the whole notion here was. Um, what you were what you were trying to do was establish what actions or inactions uh, either generated value or detracted from value in a in a workflow in a in a flow of some kind. So, can you be a little specific about what you were what you were pointing to? Yeah, I mean, what what were and we don't do this that type of mapping. And I'm, there's a part of me that's trying to ask that you know think that we should or we we should be aligning with it more. Um, what what we've what we see is there's a lot of uh, dysfunction and complexity for different things um, in organizations where we've got small groups doing what they do and not collaborating you know, crosswise with other with other teams or other phases in the development, right? So a lot of what RackN has been doing without thinking of it as an operations mapping problem is connecting, you know, different phases of infrastructure operations into pipelines or, you know, and what we, what we usually have been calling end-to-end um, sequences, but I think pipelines is actually more descriptive. Um, and we do that because people, you know, want to work the end-to-end process more quickly. But at the same time, we're constantly running into 
this team has the jurisdiction and the team next to it doesn't have the jurisdiction. Um, and it's amazing how narrowly defined the teams are. And so as, as you look at building, you know, effective uh, automation, it becomes, I have a master's in industrial engineering. So, right. I, back, back in those dark days, I was, you know, learning about how to do work, work, anal- you know, work analysis and third legs and yeah. all, the, all the system, but system thinking. Um, and so what, what we recognize is that getting people out of the silos is incredibly important, but we don't have a lot of good language for understanding the cost of the silos. Um, or, or even how to, you know, connect, start connecting the dots together. Um, and even connecting two departments, this is what we talked about last week, even connecting two departments together can be a major win if, if, they, if both departments understand the global goals that they're trying to accelerate. Otherwise, they're just optimizing each of their functions, and it's not that helpful. Um, and and I, I bet I see this a ton in, in the tech stuff that we build, right? We build a tool that gets people get super excited about, yay, and it 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 fixes a problem for that one group and then doesn't necessarily support the broader, yeah. uh, the broader is it, initiative. Is it and does it as a result kick the can in some case it might it might fix the problem. In some cases it fixes the problem for the group, but if it kicks the can, you know, down the street and makes the, the problem somebody else's downstream, that that's a that is the place where you establish you know a global value and or a, a wider value and kind of say all right you you're you're not yeah you might be you might be improving some portion of the process but overall you're you're really kind of you know rearranging the chairs here if if you're fixing places that aren't the bottleneck then you're actually making the problems worse okay that's okay Joanne, what, what did you have to add? You, you, you have the deep specialty here, so. Yeah, so first of all, I would ask the really pejorative question, what value are you trying to establish for the business? Mm-hmm. Right. And I would use that as my North Star. I, I see a value in doing that kind of operations mapping. I really do, because having come from corporate IT, you know, you go through the, the various SDLC owners right at each stage of of the life cycle and you do have these you know ebbs and flows i looked at it as a long running process not a series of interconnected loops one long running process and at each silo i found a value driver in that uber view or overarching view of how it was actually impacting the business whether it was a time to decision value or a time to value value, there was some connection that I could make to each of those silos to get everybody on board, but also to present to the customer, meaning the exterior customer or the internal customer stakeholder, that by doing this in a more cohesive, 
flowed fashion, not necessarily detracting from agile methodologies or scrums or anything like that, not impacting that in the least, but rather to have that view of cohesiveness, we actually were making a better product. And that helped me immensely because it did get everybody on board. And they started to see the connection between an individual, pardon the expression, coder's work or testers work or quality assurance or prod, whatever you want to call it, any one of those silos, they could actually see the relationship forming and start almost by osmosis once this was in place to make better relationships with the next handoff point on their own. Like we have to work together. This isn't just for me and it's not just for you. And you saw the barriers sort of dissipate a fair bit and the continuity continue. So I would say that one could also put numbers around it as well. The value of this is X. The quantifiable value in IRR or ROI is Y. And you can make that business case as well, which gets which gets the 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 whole mm, sort of ITO plus business on board with it. And maybe that's what it is that you're after. I'm speculating, of course, but I I mean we're yeah, I'll actually I wasn't expecting you to turn it around on me quite so fast. Um I just how my brain works. Yeah, no, I, I I like and I'm glad you did. Um what what we see is that the more you know that the customers who are looking towards an end solution are more yep. likely to um are, are more likely to to move to do adoption. But we still see like even customers that are moving along really fast, they have teams where it's like they're, they they maintain a team in the middle of a of a flow process because the team has political connections and they don't want to get disrupted. Um, the or it's they they like doing it in some bespoke custom way. Um, and they they that's my CTO is railing about this. You know, yesterday it's like yeah, the times when somebody does it in a custom way because they didn't know a stand a pattern or just because they didn't have any guidance that they could and but then they hold on to it um <laughs> then they hold on to those those processes and I, and what what we don't know is how to communicate uh, you know that up level you know motivate the up level person to drive out that behavior which is a, where this gets interesting to me so how do you talk yeah. to the CIO and say all right we're connecting all this stuff together. You've got a team here who insists on doing, now I sound like classic IT. You've got a team here that insists on using Excel when everybody else is using Lotus, which, and and that's not good either. No, but you can frame that conversation around technical debt easily. And you can also frame that discussion around um, waste in terms of time, because, you know, owning one part and keeping that within the four walls of your cubicle or extended cubicles or houses, depending on which way you want to look at that, is is actually costing the ITO money. Because it takes, 
there's a ramp up and a ramp down and then another ramp up and then another ramp down. And overall, it's adding um, weight, which is cost and cost, which is value to the whole process. And you don't really need necessarily a mapping to do that unless you want to come down from the CIO suite and say, we're following this procedure or this particular mapping. We know we can amend it, but we're doing it this way to see what gains we can make. Does it put money back into the budget? Are we you know, able to recuperate some costs? Are we able to do whatever, whatever? Mm. It's, and and I would look at that as the, the argument. Is it well, reasonable to like have? Sorry, Rocky, go I, ahead. I can hold. I my was going to say by having this this other um, process and software, you also have all the expenses of maintenance, support, and um, uh, repair time and whatnot, and finding the person who can repair it, which is a smaller subset of the group. Uh, than you would have if everybody was on the same platform. Your user community is smaller, so it's harder to get answers in a a quick way out of the community, at least. So you have to... You you feed into the sort of the question that I was going to ask. You put it in in sort of the very personnel form, which I like. Um, I was was thinking of it as a complexity budget. and if there's a, if, if, you know, we don't, I don't hear companies talking about this. We talk about technical debt and that seems pretty straightforward. Um, and we've, SREs have gotten pretty good about talking about defect, um, defect budgets. I think that's the term they use and toil, but there's, it feels like there should be a complexity budget also to me. And maybe, maybe we shouldn't care that much, but. How would you quantify it? That's a good question. Um, well, can you? So, you can. one of the things that kept happening in large companies mm-hmm. I was at was uh, licenses kept expiring, and purchasing didn't have insight into all of the licenses were, that were out there because all these little groups bought the licenses, and then things would expire, and then there would be a day to a week where that particular uh, productivity tool wouldn't work for for the people who used it because purchasing had to go and establish a contract with the company because support was not the same as purchase. You know, it was a different contract from buying the original software contract to the support contract later on. And then purchasing had to keep track of when all of these contracts expired and when all these licenses need to be renewed and proactively, hopefully, solve that problem. So every addition of complexity, uh, it cascades, especially into purchasing and back office stuff and tracking dates and contracts and agreements and how to keep things from falling apart because you missed a deadline on a contract. I have uh, one you know, thing that needs to be covered. Go ahead, John. 
this is beginning to sound like a webinar outline of the cost of complexity featuring Rob and, and, you know, <laughs> dealing with this whole thing. And you'd probably, you'd probably make hay while the sunshine. Uh, that being said though, I agree with Rocky. I mean, there are a lot of ties into the business. It's not just the efficacy of getting work done that keeps them secure or keeps them operating or draw, you know, can be a factor in transformation or IX. There's procurement, there's legal, there's any number of issues that can all be, um, how shall I put this, Active. technologized for the business and for the business to technologize for ITO. And the real question that I would ask you, Rob, and this is perhaps a little bit broader, is how does how would you look at this to integrate it with other things like the SaaS providers? Like if you're, you know, you have a, a hybrid environment, you've got cloud, you've got edge, you've got everything under the sun plus, and how are you going to mm, take this one step? wider and use it for that purpose, because then I think you're really um, dipping the toe into the mainstream of op and DevOps in a way that the market would pay attention to. But that's just my two cents. No, not I, that they're I, not paying attention now. This, this, this to me is the, so this is the funny thing about our history. I, I won't make it too much rack end, but um for the stuff that we've had to do historically, it's a it's it's five or six systems at least, right? A lot of customers mm -hmm. just for base provisioning, you have to talk to ten different systems, right? You know, sometimes more, and and most companies don't realize that that's the case. Like we would walk into a company and say, you know, they would be like, yeah, we just need to do this and this, and we're like, no, you actually need to do these five things. Then you help them do it, and they they've got another five that have to get done and systems right. to to talk to. Um, so when we build around that, that's that's sort of what you're describing, which is there's a lot of um, uh, contributors to any 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 pipeline, um, any work stream. That's that is built into how we build processes now. And so yeah, we we do think that there's a a much bigger impact for the work the the, the way we've built the work so that you can take a standard process. And say, you know what, for my process, I need to talk to billing.com and, and tell them not to contact, right? And then, but inter interact that into the into the stream. Um, right. Because everybody's stream is right. You we want to converge to a standard stream, but everybody's got their own hairs to come off that that into different systems. And that's normal. And and that's normal. Um but I, I don't think most, and this is where the, the mapping comes in, I don't think most people realize how intertwined, um, and in the past we've used the word coupling, which I love, or how coupled the systems that we build together are and right. how little we've done to actually address the coupling. If, if we even know it exists. Um, and that, I, I actually well, think there's, is... an, there's an operations, go ahead. So no 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 finish your thought please. I, I was going to say, 
I think complexity, like we've, we accept technical debt as a term, as a quantifiable term, even though I very rarely see people measuring technical debt. And so, I, I mean, I think that there's a degree of which you could say, what's my complexity budget, but it is worthwhile to sit down and say, okay, I, I can figure out my complexity budget, right? How much of, of this system has interdependencies with other systems? How well are those known, right? You could, you could actually score, um, you know, your supply chain control because supply chain is part of this complexity question. Um, yep. You know, the, the, how well it's maintained, right? There's, I think there, there is a possible way, even if you don't, I think you could score, you could score the complexity budget of any, of anything in your system. Um, and I, 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 I think, think at the end of the day, that would look like operations value mapping. It Well, it may and it may not because the complexity budget alone could focus on anything from the use of a SaaS provider to the cost of an API, right? Up and down. And I think that the complexity, the notion of complexity, especially under uh, current scenarios of cloud management, hybrid environments, uh, you know, go all the way down that big list of everything that we're dealing with from transformation to edge and back again, would probably be very powerful. And it wouldn't necessarily have to look the same way as operations research or operations mapping. This is something new. It's almost the way there are companies that are I, that that we see that are moving back away from agile and going back to waterfall because they've had too much complexity arise out of agile and not enough good production and so forth and so on and so i think it's the right time and the right notion for that kind of an argument it also supports the value proposition of pipeline yeah. And Sorry. whether it's the value proposition of pipeline, pipeline. Thank you. Yeah. Which I don't think is necessarily something that, you know, people look at data pipelines and where the, the inputs and the outputs come from. I don't know that they necessarily look at the uh, complexity or the parts of the same in the same vernacular as the pipeline you're describing. This helps you describe that as well. And I don't want to sound like a marketer because even from the technical point of view, if I know if I'm running a group within ITO or as a CTO or CIO, I want to know where my bottlenecks of complexity are, how to resolve them, what it's going to cost me. And then is it going to create more? Is it going to eliminate, obviate, obscure? And, and with respect to the coupling, Am I in the process going to find that my tightly coupled systems should really be either decoupled or loosely coupled? Right, right. And and that and also goes to, that brings up another another yeah. aspect, and that is when you're going through these kinds of uh, studies or you know analyses. Uh, going back to Joanne's first question, you know, what is the value you're you're seeking? If it is a val, it is if it is the value predominantly for the organization itself. You know, you know, I'm going to increase top line, or I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to. I'm sorry, 
I'm going to increase bottom line, I'm going to decrease top line types of costs. One of the other issues that you come through with this kind of pipelining or, or work chain, whatever you'd like to call it, is looking to the relative costs and uh, advantages of substitution. So for example, deciding to build your own, I don't know, pick your own uh, a, 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 data, uh, a data description language, as opposed to using something that's already in existence and is broadly supported. Um, deciding to build a new compiler as opposed to using something that's all that that's you know already <laughs> in place. Um, yeah. These are the kinds of things that um, you. These are trade-offs, and one of the best. And, and again, I, I won't say it's it's particularly. It, I don't know that it's perfect, but it's a good. Uh, I've found it to be a, an easily understood and easily presented approach to that kind of analysis of the value chain has been uh, Wordly mapping. Wordly does a very good job of kind of saying, look, here's kind of the rough buckets that you uh, of value you place a particular component in, in the entire pipeline or work chain. And here's what's already commoditized, here's where there's lots of substitutability or potential substitute. And here's where the, the innovation and, the, and the, um, the kinds of very discreet, innovative, kind of cutting edge types of work is to be done in our process, both in our process, but also as value for our customers. And he uses that, or that approach use is goes to a decision that says, spend your time here, not there. You've got other people who can supply the um, the com more commoditized or easily accessible uh, piece parts to your chain. And if you then going back to Joanne's point. Decide what you're evaluating. If it's technical debt, if it's um, you know um, establishing a discrete and distinct value for your customer, if it's time to uh, time to delivery, if it's resilience in the face of you know supply chain disruption, that's those are each the kinds of context in which you want to do this kind of value mapping. The idea that you could do one value map that kind of is the all singing, all dancing never happens. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't disagree with you, Rich. I think the only difference between the Wordly approach and other management techniques that people have used, and I'm not talking about Porter at this point, um, is what I have a problem with with Wordly is it's, I don't know how to translate this, but hopefully you understand it's it. Awkward. It's nishtahir nishtahin. It's yeah. neither here nor there. It's, it's 
it's so fluffy. That's, and so, I was going to say, uh, I don't understand how it works. It's like I've gone through it. It's like, it's kind of wishy-washy. It's it okay. How do you pick the right thing? If you know what you're doing, if you're Wardley, you can always create a map. If you're not Wardley, yeah, you, you can't create a map that works. And <laughs> the thing that I don't, I don't think most people use. Well, let me let me tell you where I think it does play well. And to your point, it is very fluffy. It's very soft. If you are specific about the context and the value you are trying to appreciate, mm -hmm. then laying things out this way is can be very instructive. And it's very interesting when you try to look historically at how parts, piece parts of it have moved either from, you know, the innovative to the more commoditized. It's, it's incredibly instructive when you're selling the idea of here's where we should pay attention to an executive group. I'll, I'll be There's an interesting keyword there that, that you said, instructive, which, uh, which I, I think that, that's where that the value proposition of world might be. Not, not in the results that it gives you, but in in that it teaches you how to organize what you already have. Hallelujah. Um, this is an entirely other conversation. We can debate methods for years. Um, I think that I think what what I don't like about Wardley and and it's a personal thing is I come from the perspective of it has to be a measurable concrete value. And it's either value captured, value created, value optimized, and then value delivered. And if it doesn't meet any of, if it doesn't fit in all of those four words or four pillars, I'm not buying it. Because my experience with executives across the board is I have to be able to figure out how to touch it. I need a number to go with it to bring it back to whomever a board, a CEO, doesn't matter. And I need to find a way to explain it to my subordinate and my group in quantifiable terms. If your you, your I, budget will be cut by X. Yeah, and no, that's I, what I have a problem with. I, I completely agree with you, but I'll go back to Klaus's point. As yeah, a starting point and as, an, as, a, as a point of view and as a way of thinking, as as a means of instructing your audience about the starting point, that's when you have to identify the value proposition you're yeah. going after. And that's when you must have some objective metrics, some objective means. If you don't, yeah. it's, you know, it's fluff. Agreed. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a, Rob, there's a really good site called 123 Manage, which uh, I've belonged to for years and years and years, and it's opinions about these kinds of things. Um, there's a premium version and a free version, and you can basically throw questions up and people will answer. It's not just academics or, or uh, thought leaders, it's practitioners, 
on a variety of different topics and very worthwhile taking a look at. It doesn't, it's not the best user experience, I will tell you now, but some of the verbiage that's contained and the content therein um, is, is quite interesting. Um, the oh, other is from one, two, one, two, one, two, three underscore management. I'm looking for uh, one, two, I think it's just one, two, three manage, but I could be wrong. I could, oh. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll tweet you or something. You could. Yeah. I'd love um, to see it. Thank you. Yeah. Because the other thing that I'm finding is also a lot of these discussions when we're talking about, um, whether it's methodologies or frameworks or anything from DevOps all the way to, you know, the value mapping is, I'm coming back to something that I did like 30 years ago, which is knowledge management. <laughs> and what's yeah. old is new, but it really makes, I mean, it's still the same paradigm that we've had for the past 30 years. What are we creating with digital transformation? Knowledge. Why? So we can make better business decisions. Duh. You know, like, it, it's, it all comes full circle, but even the premise, the precepts and the tenets of knowledge management, building knowledge management systems fits to what you're talking about, Rob. Oh, interesting. Uh, Future discussion you, topic, knowledge management. Yeah, sorry. I'll add it to and the list. Fascinating. I'd like to toss out something else, just food for thought, and that is uh, one of the worlds I came from from the past is QA, now called test, even though it's uh, people are finding out that maybe QA is a little beyond test and maybe they need a little bit more than just test. But one of the things that the QA test world has had for a while has what they call mind maps. Yes. Somewhat like, like similar, but very different from Wardley maps, but it's still that knowledge capture of the process. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a bit easier in some ways to get a handle on than Wardley. Uh, it's, it doesn't have as many, uh, it doesn't go down to second, third, fourth order effects the way Wardley kind of does and, and makes it difficult to ferret out really what you're looking for. So you might take a look at, at mind maps also uh, just for, process, uh, operations, whatever research you want to look at. Yeah, that one, two, three manage. Yes, it is the same one. Yeah. And yes, I did say that the UI UX are not very good. You know, it makes me comfortable. One, two manage. Oh, yes. Okay, Ah. you're right. They've dropped the three. Ah, deflation. (laughs) (laughs) optimization please exactly folks i made it more agile Uh, 12 languages it's 12 (laughs) languages 12 disciplines they must have dropped a language in there um (laughs) thank you we're we're a little we're a little over i love i love these conversations especially when we get we get it's a twofer and we get get double up okay I, i put i put this on the next on the on the Knowledge, uh, knowledge mapping on the knowledge management on the on December 9th. Yeah, we uh, Thanksgiving, no, no meeting. And then potentially if if the stars align, uh, we could potentially meet in person or at least have a in person and remote on the 9th of December. 
Um, Where would the in-person be? Las yeah. Vegas. Ah. Reinvent, uh, the reinvent uh, crowd. Or the reinvent shadow conference crowd. Yeah, <laughs> I think of myself. Right. <laughs> I didn't know Zoom grew a shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Only at five o'clock. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's enough. I'm 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 punchy. I've been Thanks, punchy guys. I'll <laughs> see you. Hey Carol. Wow. We really went deep and fast in operations research and, and got some extra time to sort of talk about how to figure this out. What type of mapping can you do? I know that we're gonna have a future session on knowledge management. Um, you heard us talking about the website 12Manage, and uh, I think that that will be a really good way to think about how to take these lessons learned and understanding what we're gonna measure and applying it more generally. So please join us at the23.cloud. Be part of these conversations. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.